And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as had any need. As I said back then, socialists point to this to say that Christians should support this method of governance. But they don't, they don't say this because they believe the Bible. Trust me on this. They say it to us and they point this out because we believe the Bible. And they think that perhaps they can get their political point across by appealing to the Bible without actually knowing, understanding, or believing it. They want to convince us and hypocritically point to this passage and this section that we're reading today to appeal to our love of God to get their desires. But our love of God should steer us away from socialism and communism. It's not as though sincere Christians have not tried socialism in the past, because they have. Perhaps the most famous example of a failed socialist experiment is Plymouth Colony. And Plymouth Colony was founded by whom? Dedicated Calvinist Puritans, of all things. The people that we trace our lineage back to tried socialism back in, this, in 1621. All it accomplished for them was want, injustice, and unfairness. It ended up in famine. The governor of the colony, William Bradford, wrote, for the young men who were fit for labor and service did repine that they should, and by the way, repine was in our reading today. I thought, repine, what is that? You know, do I need to look that up? But no, it was in our reading today. For the young men who were fit for labor and service did repine that they should spend their time and strength to work for other men's wives and children without recompense. The strong, or men of parts, had no more division of clothes, etc., than he that was weak and not able to do the quarter and the and not able to do the quarter that the other would. This was thought injustice. The aged and graver men to be ranked and equalized in labor and food and clothes, etc., with the meaner and younger sort, thought it some indignant and disrespect unto them. And for men's wives to be commanded to do service for other men, as dressing their meat or washing their clothes, etc., they deemed it to be a kind of slavery. Neither could their husband brook it. In a society structured that way, the lazy take advantage of the industrious and everyone went hungry at that. The experiments failed and afterwards men took care of their own. You know, the Apostle Paul a long time before that said, uh, those who don't work won't eat. There's a precedent for Christians looking uh, at this kind of an experiment badly. So what exactly do these two passages in Acts teach us? Let's take a look at Acts 4, 32 through 5, 4. And it's a little bit longer than I 
usually uh, go to, but there's a point to be made here. So now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And notice that they said, no one said that anything that was his, okay, they believed in possessions. They knew who the possessions were uh, that they were, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as they had as to any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourselves part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Verse 22 said that those who believed were of one heart and soul. They were truly united in Christian love. It further says that no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. So it was their own, and yet they were bringing it for the benefit of the other Christians. They did not claim exclusivity to their property, but shared it freely. And the reason for this is that in a good Christian perspective, everything we have comes from God. Everything belongs to God. It's why we bring a portion back with our tithes and offerings to God to do his work, to help his people. So they had the mentality that all they had flowed from God and wanted to use these gifts for God's glory. And while while the church was practicing charity, verse 33 says, and with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and and great grace was upon them all. And notice, just in our previous uh, section, it says that the apostles were warned by the chief priests and elders not to preach the resurrection of Jesus and uh, the apostles responded well you know we're going to obey God rather than you and here they are preaching giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus verse 34 through 35 says there was not a needy person among them for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. 
these early Christians, you have to remember, were religious Jews. They were probably as religious as anybody in the uh, in Israel. They saw themselves as, by, by the way, the righteous remnant of Israel, the ones who had not fallen away from the worship of God. And knowing that, they understood what was in their scriptures. They well knew how God commanded them concerning those in need. God did not want poor people living in the nation of Israel. Now, that doesn't mean that he wanted to drive them to the border and push them across. It meant that he had given a land flowing with milk and honey to the Israelites, and he expected the poor to be fed off the bounty of the land. In Deuteronomy 15, starting in verse 7, God says, If among you one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. And now this was not straight charity, because next goes on to talk about the seventh year of a uh, Jew being a slave. Uh, Being a Jewish slave was more like being an indentured servant when people came across the United States uh, at the before the founding of the country. If you couldn't afford it, you would indenture yourself to somebody for a period of time. That person would take you in, feed you, not pay you. You're working for him, but this is the arrangement. And at the end of the specified time, you were free to leave. Both sides were expected to keep up the bargain. In If you sold yourself, and by the way, this is the only way a Jew could be enslaved to another Jew, is if they enslaved themselves, if they sold themselves into slavery. So it's a different portion, uh, picture than what we think of slavery as being. So if the Jew has sold himself into slavery, he works six years for his master, and the seventh year, he is free to go. And look at how God wants him to be dealt with. Verse 9 of Deuteronomy says, Take care lest there be an unworthy thought in your heart, and you say, The seventh year, the year of release is near, and your eye look grudgingly on your poor brother, and you give him nothing, and he cried to the Lord against you, and you be guilty of sin. So when your slave is leaving, he doesn't walk out empty-handed. You're to be generous with him. You shall give to him freely, and your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him, because for this the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all you undertake. So you're to be generous as you release your slave. God continued, for there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy, and to the poor in your land. So this is the mindset that these new Christians, this righteous remnant of Israel, approached the presence of the poor among their church. And between the, uh, between the fact that, you know, have you noticed that not that many really wealthy people worship God? Not that many wealthy people are Christians. It seems that God chooses the lowly among us to worship him, to come to him. And remembering, of course, that at 
Pentecost, there were many, many converts among the people from outside of Jerusalem who came to uh, worship at the Passover and then were converted. Many of them did not go back to their lands. So they're in Jerusalem without anything. And so the church had a great need of money, food, clothing, to help the poor among them. Verse 36 through 37 says, Thus Joseph, who is also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And you might not think that's a big deal, you know, sold a piece of property, brought the money. Well, typically only the middle class and rich in Israel owned any owned houses or owned any kind of property at all. The middle class was about 10% of the um, population could be considered middle class. The rich, it's estimated between 4 and 7%, let's, let's say 5, 5.5. So 15% of the people in Israel owned property, and that's it. And probably by far a lesser percentage of the Christian church owned any kind of land because they were not the wealthy among, they were not the priestly class, they weren't the ruling elders, they were of the people, of general population. So the man named here, Barnabas, we know from later in Acts where he's seen as a co-worker of Paul. And it says here that Barnabas was from Cyprus and that he was a Levite. Now, there's a curiosity, a Levite selling property. Because what did God say when he set up the priestly system? He said, you will not own property. You will make your living from the temple. And here, so we have two possibilities here. Barnabas is from Cyprus. So either the Levite restriction on owning property has passed away by the time the New Testament uh, church comes into being, and we don't know, or it was different for somebody outside of Israel, or a Levite outside of Israel. It does not say which. We just know that he had property that he sold. Either way, Scripture does not tell us which one of those might be true. Now, the giving of alms and tithes is commanded by God, but here we see Barnabas selling property. Uh, This was more sacrificial than merely giving money because you are taking away... We have businessmen here. You sell your business, you're taking away your income. You're taking away the possibility of making a further profit from that down the line. And you're putting yourself a little bit at risk. Liquidating capital assets could be irreplaceable. So for the socialists who point to this as a pooling of resources, this is not shown as that. It's shown as as a need arises, people bringing money to the church to make specific needs. They didn't have a communal exercise going on here. They had a generous spirit. We also know that this is a rare thing to have been bringing it. It said that as people had it, they brought it. But that doesn't mean everybody brought it, and that doesn't mean people brought all they had. We know this because Barnabas is singled out in Scripture to show us an example of what's going on. 
Barnabas's extravagance was noticed and admired by many, though he was not seeking acclaim or admiration. And we can know this from uh, his tireless labors with Paul later on in Acts, that he was not doing this for people's acclaim. Acts 5.1 then says, But a man named Ananias... I want to go back to our scripture reading in 2 Timothy for an illustration. But a man named Ananias. I said it before, what a wonderful thing it must be to have your name in the Bible for all time. Especially if your name is like, you know, Aquila. And we read it today. uh, Prisca, which is Priscilla and Aquila. Or um, who was such help to... uh, Paul or Joseph of Arimathea who uh, carried Jesus' cross or Nicodemus who donated the tomb for Jesus to be buried in or Timothy Barnabas here but not so much you know if your name is um, Demas in love with this present world who has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica we don't I don't want my name in there like that or Cruskins has gone to Galatian, Titus to Dal- uh, Dalmatia. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. These are not things we really want to see about us in the Bible, is it? So here we have, but a man named Ananias, and that's just one of those other names that you wouldn't want to have your name be in the Bible. With his wife, Sapphira, sold a piece of property and with his wife's knowledge he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, you might say, well, so they sold it and they brought it. Well, there's a term in military circles. It's called stolen valor, okay? It's where somebody who has never served purchases a uniform and the medals and wears it and by the way they always wear the medals and the markings wrong because they don't really know how to put them on correctly but claiming you've done been in the service when you haven't and also it can be an admiral killed himself just a while back because he thought he was entitled to a certain medal was wearing it and it was pointed out that he was not entitled to it I think it was Admiral Borda and uh, it was pointed out that he didn't deserve that medal and he in shame, killed himself over it. Stolen valor. Well, this is what Ananias and Sapphira were doing because they, though they did a generous thing, they didn't do it for a right reason. They did it for the acclaim and that Barnabas had got, though he did not seek it. They wanted to be in the same company as Barnabas saying we sold this land and we brought all the money to the apostles and that's what they let out in the church it doesn't say it in scripture but we can see it from what is said here by Peter to him that they were seeking this stolen valor Ananias and Sapphira look generous here because they did indeed sell property and bring some of the proceeds to the apostles. But Peter said, and this is verse uh, 3 of chapter 5, Ananias, 
Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? Now, how did Ananias lie to the Holy Spirit? Didn't he and Sapphira just build themselves up in the eyes of the apostles in the church? But Peter says that they lied by lying to the apostles and to the church. They lied to the Holy Spirit. Peter says that Satan filled his heart where the giving of Barnabas was divinely inspired. That of Ananias and Sapphira was of the devil, was of Satan. Then in verse 4, Peter continues, While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. See, nothing was required of Ananias here. Nobody was telling him to sell property. It was his property. No one asked him to sell it. No one said they needed his money. John Calvin says that uh, Luke condemned Ananias for only one crime. His wishing to deceive God and the church with a false offering. A false offering. Uh, The commentator Daryl Bach said, Ananias sought man's praise rather than to honor God. And Ananias and Sapphira wanted to claim without sacrifice. Sort of like what was going on in the Plymouth colony. People wanted food and clothing without the sacrifice of their work. Ananias had many things he could do here. He could have kept his property. Nobody was going to take it from him. He could have sold it and kept all the proceeds. I mean, that happens all the time. It's just commerce. He could have willed his property to his heirs. He could have sold it and tithed 10%. He could have done anything but what he did, which is lie to the church and to the apostles. Two weeks ago, in the introduction uh, to Genesis that we're doing in Sunday school, I went over Genesis verses 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, I told you that I was going to be using Dennis Prager for background, not for theology, but for background. And uh, he says, the Hebrew word uh, translated here as wind, ruach, is the same one as spirit, which is the word most other translations use. The King James Version And among uh, modern translations, the previous JPS translation, I don't know, I didn't look that up, and Richard Elliott Friedman used spirit. The most common translation, therefore, reads, and the spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters. And then he goes on to say that many scholars understand Elohim here as meaning powerful or mighty as opposed to God. 
This accords with the present translation, a mighty wind, which is what is in the Hebrew Bible. Uh, the Holy, it's not Holy Spirit, but it's a mighty wind. This works just fine for a Jewish translation of the Hebrew because the Jews see the Holy Spirit as an it, as an action. They do not see the Holy Spirit as a person because that, because through their lack of understanding, believing in the Spirit as a person, as part of the Godhead, would violate their belief in only one God. But here, at the end of our passage, Peter says that Ananias has lied to the Holy Spirit. So how does one lie to an it? How does one lie to an action? You don't. You can only lie to a person. And then Peter put a point to it. He said, you lied not to men, but to God. We have a mathematician here, and it's not me. You can put, (laughs) it's definitely not me. There is a formula for this. If you lied to the Holy Spirit, and then it says you lied to God, if A equals B and B something or another equals something else, right? If you lied to the Holy Spirit, and then it says you lied to God, it means that the Holy Spirit is God. At the beginning, I was telling you about the lie that, that the socialists hold, that Acts 4.33-5.4 through 5, 4 shows the early church practicing a socialist communal lifestyle, but nothing could be further from the truth. This passage is nothing if not a full-throated defense of personal property rights, such as they were back in the time of the apostles. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Rather than showing Christianity to be a socialist construct, instead it shows Christianity as robustly capitalistic. In this passage, showing Satan filling a heart to lie, you should extrapolate that out a little and... Beware the other lies that Satan is telling as he fills the hearts of this world because he, Satan is a destroyer. He is tearing down. He will tell... What, what was I just reading? He wants your sin to go to the utmost that it can do. If you withhold a little money from God... Satan wants you to withhold all of it from God, and that's his goal. If you have a small lust of some kind, Satan wants your lust to be overwhelming. He doesn't do things in a little way, and as we see in this country today, letting a little evil into our country enables Satan to take it to the utmost evil. I think it was last week I was mentioning abortion. And, you know, in 1974, it was, it was to do a little bit of good in a, woman's, in, a, in a poor woman's life. And where are we at today? Where are we at today? There's no restrictions whatsoever. It is taking Satan's plan 
is to take evil as far as it can go. And I think that as you look around our country today, you can see that evil being taken to its, I'd say, logical conclusion, but it's an illogical conclusion. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we see that Ananias gave in to Satan just, just a bit. He was generous. He sold property. His sin was not in holding back, but in lying. Lord, as we go about our lives, as we go about our duties as citizens in this country, Keep us from believing the lie that Satan tells. Even if it's a little one. Even if it's just a, seems like a little white lie. Keep us from it. Because Satan wants total destruction. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.